When Jesus saw his mother, everybody shout Saul. His mother standing there beside the disciple he loved. He said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Shout amen. amen. Please be seated. Lord, we ask that you'd work a miracle for us in the next few minutes as we share together. This is our second week in talking about uh, this subject, when life disappoints. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to call uh, the former president of Grambling State University, who is an, has been an extraordinary mentor of mine, Dr. Joseph B. Johnson, and he now lives in Atlanta, and he called me back. And uh, we talked, had a great time uh, catching up. But he said, Herman, you know, you haven't talked to me. We haven't connected in about five years. And he said, and since then, uh, during that course, uh, his wife had died. And they had been married for over 60 years. He's 82 years old now. And he said to me, he said, Herman, I, I now kind of, I know what it means when people say that, uh, that when you lose your spouse, it's like pulling out a part of your heart or your soul, and it just dies. Well, that's disappointment. How do you survive that kind of disappointment? Or how do you survive with that kind of disappointment? Because there are some disappointments we just don't get over. So how do we survive with it? Now, some of you, you have more quiet disappointments. You're the person who, when the um, people look at you uh, on your pew, they see nothing but success. They look at your job, they see success. They look at the clothes you wear, they see success. They look at the car you drive, they see success. As a matter of fact, some of you are serving in the life of this church right now, and anyone who comes to you with a problem or concern, you always have a smile and a word of encouragement. And yet, what we don't know is that you, perhaps, is the person who goes home to a marriage where there is no communication, is completely, the relationship is completely dismantled, quiet disappointment. Are you the person who's struggling with the reality that that son or that daughter that you expected one day when she or he was born to graduate from high school and go to Stanford or UC Berkeley or Yale or Princeton, they might just make it out of high school. Quiet disappointment. Are you the person who's doing quite well? Except when you compare yourself to folk who graduated in the same graduate program that you had, or undergrad program you hear, and look at all the money they're making compared to what you're making. It's not that anything tragic has happened to you. It's just simply that the greatest tragedy that you are experiencing is living a life that feels stuck in mediocrity. Status quo. You're just not the person you thought you would be at this point. Can you say quiet disappointment? It's not as loud or dramatic as the loss of a spouse after 60 years. But I want to tell you, it is just as toxic. 
It can be just as poisonous. It can be just as debilitating if, in fact, you and I don't realize, uh, don't figure out how do we survive it and how do we survive with it. That's the question that Jesus is answering for us in the midst of the greatest disappointment of all of eternity as the Son of God hangs from the cross dying. He teaches us in the first word last week, well, the first thing he teaches us, well, how do I survive? How do I, how do I, uh, how do I survive it or survive with it? Well, the first thing he taught us last week very quickly as he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He has taught us that we've got to own it. Tell the person next to you, you got to own it. You got to own it. You got to own it. You got to articulate it. You got to give voice to it, right? You got to be honest with God about it. You got to be honest with yourself about it. You got to be honest with other folk around you about it. You got to be like Steve, who uh, over many months ago started to be honest with people around him about his battle with cancer and what that would probably mean long term. You've got to own it. That's the first step in surviving it. You got to own it. And so last week we talked about how to do that with tears and scripture and prayer and words. Uh, but I'm reminded of many years ago, I was a little kid in Texas with my grandmother for about a year. I walked in on her and she was crying. And, and I said, I used to call her Mun. I said, Mun, are you okay? And she looked at me and tears was going, coming out. She said, no, baby, I'm not okay. But she said, don't worry, grandma will be okay. So here's what we're going to practice just for a moment because, because we, this is the, I want you to turn to somebody next to you and I want you to point at yourself and say, hey, I'm not okay. Come on, tell them. All right, all right. All right. find somebody else, some, the next person. And say, look, I, say, I just want to let you know. Point at yourself. I'm not okay. Come on. Isn't that, isn't that liberating? Come on, come on, come on. Say, my goodness. Uh, uh, now, I want you to tell that other person that you just finished talking to, say, but I will be okay. Come on, let's celebrate that. That's a statement of faith. Honesty and faith. This has to be the church. This is one of the reasons why you ought to run to get here. Is because this is perhaps one of the few places where you can walk into a room packed with people and know that it's okay for you not to be okay. And guess what? You're surrounded by a whole group of folk. So you don't have to pretend. You don't have to put up a, a deal. I, uh, one of my uh, partners came to pray with me this morning because she always prays with me. And... Uh, and she broke down crying and said, what's going on? And she shared with me some serious losses in her life. And then she said, but I, I apologize for breaking down. This is supposed to be praying. I said, no, 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 don't apologize. This is the place where it's okay not to be okay. And now let us pray for you. So how do I survive it? Well, I've got to own it. I got to be honest with it. All right. Tell the person next to you, own it. Tell them. All right. All, right. All right. Now, in the last few moments that we have here, you got to come back next week. Tell somebody next week, hurry back next week. We've got a lot to catch up with. Tell them. 
<laughs> Don't be late. <laughs> we'll allowed to catch up on that next week. Uh, but, but I'm just going to hit a couple of real quick points. Real quick. When we look at Jesus on the cross, uh, this second word, John Mark, we studied last week, records Jesus only saying one, uh, records only one of the words that Jesus says, which is, my God, my God, why is thou forsaken? The gospel of John records Jesus saying three words. Three more of the, of the seven words, John identifies three of them. What's interesting to me is the word that he picks to write about first. The first word that John records, he's there. John is the only eyewitness among all the disciples who's actually at the foot of the cross during the entire crucifixion. So he could have picked any of the words to start off with. But the first word that he wants us to hear Jesus say from the cross is really a word of provision for his mother. The King James Version is woman, which was in the Hebrew, a very respectful term. It's like saying, ma'am, uh, uh, woman, behold your son and he points uh, beckons towards uh, the beloved disciple and he beckons towards him and says behold your mother he's making provisions for his mother why would John start with this word uh, there, there, there are two quick insights here the first is just an obvious one it need not be really deep about it it's just obvious Jesus is the savior of the world and as he dies on the cross, he takes time to take care of his mama. Amen. Lesson, quick. Doesn't matter how big you become. Doesn't matter who you are. You never outgrow the responsibility of respecting and empathizing and as much as possible caring for those who raised you. Point. Now, I know there's a lot of pain in that place, right? I know that we've gotten a lot of pain from our parents, and I know that some of our parents are toxic. I'm not suggesting that you be in a position that you allow people to abuse you. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have boundaries, but I am suggesting that as best as is most possible in you, you should respect them, not curse them out. You should empathize with them. Come on now. Put yourself in their shoes. Uh, and as most, as best as possible. Even if they weren't around for you when you were growing up. If you can take care of them, do it. The scripture says uh, that the child who honors his mother and father, they will be blessed with long days. Tell the person next to you, respect your parents. All right, so that's not deep. This is obvious. Here's where it gets a little deeper. Last week we talked about, so we know Jesus is owning his pain. My God, my God, he cries it out. Why hast thou forsaken, abandoned me? He's in the middle of the most excruciating pain. The crucifixion was as horrendous of uh, the most horrible way to die. It perfects pain distribution but John writes about Jesus he says in this moment when I would expect Jesus to be solely self-absorbed 
when I expect Jesus to be so, so captured and raptured by his own excruciating pain, I find Jesus caring for somebody other than him. Wow. And not, not only is he caring for somebody other than himself, but he's caring for people who are within his relationship circle. And if you read the verse very closely, it says, when he saw his mother. The suggestion is that Jesus noticed that his pain was impacting and causing pain for her. And while he couldn't do anything about his pain, he was going to do the best he could to alleviate, if just a little bit, And the beloved disciples pain. What was the insight here? What's the lesson here? What was the insight that I think Jesus is trying to teach us? Here it is. Yes, you hurt. Yes, you've been disappointed. Yes, life has run over you like a Mack truck. I get it. But none of that ever gives you to the right to ignore the responsibility of how your pain always, everybody, come on, say always. Always affects others around you. Your pain is never just your pain. It has an impact. An alcoholic I, I counseled not long, uh, many years ago actually, uh, the turning point in his life was when he realized how devastating his pain was on his kids. He took notice and decided to do something. So if you must have a prayer, pray this prayer over the course of the week. Lord, help me to notice how my stuff is impacting folk around me. And help me to do something where I can do something. Last week I talked to you about Viola Davis, uh, amazingly, uh, in the movie Fences. And of course, last weekend she won the Oscars. And I was following up on her and I discovered, as a matter of fact, what I, I was moved by her Oscar speech. And as she was standing there with that Oscar, she talked about the inspiration behind her work, as masterful as it is was that she knew a lot of great people with great stories, but they were all in the graveyard. And she wanted to give voice to those stories. And then when she got home, listen, when she got home, she, she put on Instagram, they're going to put the picture up there, the only picture she has of her childhood. That's the only one. She was just a little bit in elementary school. It's the only picture. And the reason she talks about it is the only picture. She says, she says and, and, you know, and she wrote that when she compares that picture to that other one up there, you see, all she can do is say, thank you, God, for what you've done. But you really got to get behind it. Later on, I learned. I, I did a little more research. And I found out that she said when she was that first picture, she lived in abject poverty and dysfunction. She said she would jump she would jump into garbage cans with maggots to try to find some food. 
She, she, she said that she would, she would steal from the corner store because she was hungry. And yet, as she looked around, she saw heroes and herons all around her. People who were struggling to make their marriage work in the midst of abject poverty. People who would get up and go to work every day and work two to three jobs in the midst of abject poverty. People who were trying to break the chains of, of addiction and, and break free of the community and the life around them despite their challenges. And a lot of those folk, come on now, never have registered on anybody's history page and no movie's been written about them. They filled the graveyard. But what, 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 what she says is, I noticed. And because I noticed, it has inspired me to do something about it I want to be their voice so when you notice the people when you notice first things notice how my pain is impacting others but then secondly allow that same observation to help you to see who everybody else misses the invisible so that's the first point. So my pain is not my pain. Secondly, uh, very quickly, my, my pain will either will do one or two things. Will either close my heart or open it. Ask the person next to you, is your heart closed? Ask them. We'll close it. Uh, there's a fella. Uh, his name is... Uh, Art Spiegelman, uh, he wrote the book The Mouse. It's a two-volume novel. He interviewed his father about uh, being a Holocaust survivor. And those who know Art says that probably why he interviewed his father about being a Holocaust, and this is a great kind of bestseller, and he, what's remarkable is he's a cartoonist, and so he did it. He laid it out uh, using uh, a cartoon uh, genre. So the whole book is like reading the comics, deep and powerful stuff. And folk who know him says, say that what they think happened was that when his father came out of the Holocaust, all that horror, that he survived it, but he survived it with a closed heart. It means that he couldn't trust anybody anymore, not even his son. And that he, he amassed all that he could amass, but he amassed it and encased it within his own control. And, and part of why the son wanted to write that novel was that son was trying to break through a door that had been closed all of his growing up years because our father's pain closed his heart. How many of you, your children can't get into your life because your heart's closed? How, how, how many of you cannot really experience intimacy and real love because your heart's closed? So if you must leave here praying for anything today, leave here praying, God, take the lock off my heart. I want to feel again. Feel again. Well. One of my favorite passages is showing Jesus doing the exact opposite. This is why John starts with this. This is why I think he starts this first word. Because, you know, one of my favorite passages is in uh, John 11, 32 to uh, 35. 
I just love this story for so many different reasons. I don't have time to go into it. I'll just give you a real quick deal on it. You know, uh, uh, Lazarus has died. His sisters, Mary and Martha, had asked Jesus to come, and Jesus didn't show up. As a matter of fact, didn't even send a note back. After Lazarus had been dead and buried, four days later, Jesus shows up. Mary gets the word, your master is here. And Jesus, Mary was like, uh, he coming now. And finally, she goes out. That's where this text is. It says, and, and, and this is where the text picks up. It says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. And she cried out, Lord, if you had been here. So many of us are saying this right now. If you had been here, my mother, my friend. And she says, my brother would not have died. And she does it screaming and yelling and all of that. And she's in great grief. And notice what it says about Jesus. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and then he looked around, and he says, and he saw those who were with her wailing. Then it says, and the Greek, the English is not really good here. What the, what the Greek is trying to say is he tapped into those feelings of deep grief, and they, 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 they rose up in him. And, 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 and he felt the, the anger and all of that. It, it, listen, he already knew he was going to raise Lazarus. So it wasn't about Lazarus being dead per se. It was about the grief of those around him. But rather than allowing that grief and that pain close him. Come on now. He opened his heart. Then the last verse, my favorite of all the verses says, and he couldn't help it anymore. It just simply says, and Jesus what? You have to resist the temptation to shut that heart. You have to pray, God, take the lock off. You have to say, God, I want to feel again. Yes, yes, it means I'm going to weep. That's how you weep with those who need to be wept with. Yes, it means I'm going to hurt. But, 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 but I believe that, 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 you can, you can do, that you can do more with me with an open heart than you can with a closed. That's what John sees as Jesus takes care. All right, lastly. All right. So, tell the person next to you, your pain is not just your pain. Tell them. Tell the other person, pain can make you close your heart or open it. Tell them. All right, now watch this. This is my favorite part. <laughs> You've heard this before. You've got to make a decision, therefore. Are you going to ask God to help you to transform your pain? Or will you simply transfer it? Transfer it, transfer it. Undealt with disappointment. That locks up in a closed heart, you end up transferring it. You become so insecure that you demand the impossible from people around you just to keep your ego in shape. Undealt with pain and disappointment causes you to become rigid and, 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 and locked in place because you're afraid of being flexible and nimble, but relationships requires it. Undealt with pain, toxicity of disappointment, unhandled, come on, what, what, what cause you to begin to become a gossiper because you feel better digging in other people's garbage cans. 
because it reflects your cynicism about life. And what I'm saying, and what you know, you transfer that. You pass it to your kids. Pass it to your spouse. Your, 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 your staff gets infected by it. But transform. This is what Jesus is showing. He's in the midst of pain. He says, look, here's my prayer. I don't want to tr- transfer this pain. I want to transform. That's part of his redemption, y'all. I want to transform it. Transform it into empathy. That's the prayer that you should leave here praying. God, open my heart. Take the lock off my heart. And then, oh, God, take this pain uh, that I've been carrying. And, 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 and I don't know what to do with it. But, I, okay, I just heard. I need you to help transform that pain into empathy. For others rather than being wrapped up in myself. And then the last piece, shout friendship. Boy, I tell you, friendship, friendship, friendship. You do write this Sunday down. I preached in 25 minutes. (laughs) I'm gonna finish this one here. I'm gonna finish it here. Uh, shout for, what do I need to survive my pain? What, 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 what would help me to get beyond my pain? Oh, there's a remarkable thing here. Uh, 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 John wants us to, to see that fellow, which is really himself, the beloved disciple, the, the one whom Jesus loved. That means Jesus had a unique relationship with this one. And, 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 and what, why did Jesus have a unique relationship? Shout, why? What, what, what is it about John's character that would cause Jesus to, 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 to in a sense, prefer him over the others? And, and, and there's a little clue in John's writing. There's a Greek word. That's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's right. I'm going to write real big. Minno. Everybody say minno. That word means, watch this, remains. John is big on this word. Throw up chapter 15, beginning at verse 4 of John. Look at you. Every time you see the word, I'm going to start, but every time you see the word, remain, shout it out. Here you go. Watch this. Jesus is speaking. Remain in me and I will. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you in me. Next verse. For yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Next verse. Watch this. Anyone who does not in me will be thrown away like a useless branch and withers such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Next verse. Watch this. But if you in me and my words that's how he remains in you y'all through the word and my words in you you may ask for anything you want and we'll be going in other words his word within you will direct the prayers that you pray come on now and then verse 9 concludes it like this he says look I have loved you even as the father has loved me so in my love When Jesus looks at John, he sees one unlike anybody else who remains. Let me prove it. There were 12 disciples. And upon the crucifixion of Jesus, they all dispersed for good reason, except one. 
they, they dispersed because the word went out. If you know him, let's kill him and everybody with him. So John, staying at the foot of the cross, meant he risked his life. And then can you imagine staying at the foot, watching the one that you love go through the most grotesque, painful death in the world? Well, here's the point. This is the point I'm trying to make. Everybody scattered, but one remained. And it was John. And here's another word. Here's another word. Let me tell you. It's another Greek word. Just tell you, learn your Greek. Tell somebody you're learning some Greek today. Tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Upo Minno. Watch this. I love this. Y'all may not decide it's me, but I like it. Come on. It means remain under. That's what that word is under. When all hell break loose, but I'll remain under it. Come on now. When all stress breaks loose, but I'll remain under it. When, 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 when life falls apart, but I'll remain under it. Listen, you and I, we need friends who when everything goes wrong in our lives, they will remain. That's why you need to open up your heart. That's why you need to take the lock off. Because God's got a friend knocking on the door of your life. And if you let her or him in, they will remain and help you through y'all but then here's the good news if you want a friend like that you need to be it you need to be it and so here's the basic final paradigm for friendship friendship is really about sacrificial service Jesus says this chapter 15 verse 13 no greater love than this than one that will lay down one's life for what his friends. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. He said, I no longer call you slaves because, uh, because masters don't confide in the slaves. But I've told you everything the Father's told you. you, you you're my. And so Jesus is laying down his life for a friend. Watch it. Watch this. Watch this. Not only does John remain, but there are people at the cross saying, if you be the person you say you are, come on down. And save us and save yourself. But because he loved you so much, even before you were born, because he wanted to make a way out of no way for you, Jesus remained under the stress of crucifixion. And so at the end of the day, I want you to think about all your relationships. Is the chief paradigm one of service? Or do you see friendship and relationship as simply a way to get something? Are you a servant in your marriage? Are you a servant to your kids? Are your kids a servant to you? Uh, if you are adult kids, are you servants in those relationships? Do you see your business as the context of serving others? Are you a teacher? Do you see teaching as about serving? When that paradigm now, C.S. Lewis says, be careful when you start talking about being a servant. He says, because if you're not careful, people around you will start treating you like a servant. Don't get mad when they start treating you like a servant. It just means you've risen to crisis level. Praise God. Give God a hand praise. That's it. Let me see your connection card. In the back of it, I want to encourage you 
to the response to the message, I simply want to challenge you that this week, I want to suggest you write this. I will serve and not complain. That's the challenge I want to make of you. Serve and not complain. And Oh, yeah. Okay, God, get the part. I'm sorry. Connection, God. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you got the idea. <laughs> Under the response to the message. And, uh, and, and let's pray this prayer. Uh, I'm going to have you to stand up. But when we finish praying this prayer, I want you to sit back down and finish filling out this card. And I want you to turn it in. I hope you will make this commitment. There may be some other steps you want to take. They're on the front. And you should see those. Look, our prayer for this week, and I hope you're going to pray this prayer this week. I've given you some prayers to pray. Uh, I, I said, you know, God, help me to notice how my, my pain is hurting others. Unlock, take the lock off my heart. Help me to become the friend that I so desperately need. But then that's wrapped up in a paradigm of service. So what we're challenging people to pray this, we want us to pray throughout the week for God. Lord, we want you to unleash our unique gifts as we respond to your invitation to more fully glorify you, glorify you as we serve. So pray this prayer with me. Oh God, I'm being honest now. Serving has not always worked out well for me. But I hear you talking today. And for your glory, not mine. I'm committing right now. This week, I'm going to focus more on serving, less on complaining. In Jesus' name, shout amen.